Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast, where we're committed to helping you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Let's get to today's message. Great weekend. Thankful that you're here. But let me ask you a question before I get into this series, because the series is going to be a bit of storytelling. It's six weeks uh, in the book of Ruth. But I, I just have a question for you, because modern day storytelling, we understand, is, is movies, right? So, so, so what are your favorite kinds of movies out there? So, so what, what are the genres that you really enjoy? Just make some noise if, if you think that action flicks are the best kind of movies out there. Uh, okay, there's a few. Some of you need to still wake up, and that's okay. Just nudge somebody next to you. Say, hey, he's talking to you. Uh, how about comedies? If comedies are your favorite kind of movies. Okay, all right. That's a little more. How about superhero movies? All right. That's kind of the same as the action flicks. How about thrillers? Anybody enjoy a good thriller? Oh, man, I enjoy a good thriller. What I enjoy better than actually watching the thriller movie is watching my wife, because most movies, she's under a blanket cuddled, but a thriller, she is up and she is leaned forward and into it, like her physical posture just changes during a thriller flick. That's what I like to watch. Uh, And I think that's about it, right? That's just those four genres of, what's that? Oh, rom-coms? Where are my rom-com people at? All right. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's so the rom-coms, you know, it's a, the romantic comedies, AKA chick flicks, Hallmark specials. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I do like them actually. Uh, I have been known to sit down in the room with my wife while she's watching a chick flick. She's like, you want to watch this? I'm like, no, 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 that's fine. And I'll get like my laptop or I'll play a game on my phone or whatever. I'll pretend I'm not watching. And then suddenly I go, I shift from playing on the laptop to being engaged with the character. And then it's like, hey, don't watch another episode without me. What happens in Virgin River? Please tell me. <sighs> I loathe myself on a regular basis, but I do enjoy them. <laughs> well, this, this uh, book of the Bible we're going to be reading in the next six weeks is the book of Ruth. And I would tell you that if there, the book of the Bible were a movie, it would definitely be a Hallmark special, a chick flick, possibly even a rom-com. Because unfortunately in this story, there's no Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Gal Gadot. We've got actors more like Reese Witherspoon and Ryan Gosling. That's who's in these shows. There's no pew-pews. There's no explosions. There's no radical car chases, alien invasions, and superheroes that are going to stop them. There's absolutely nobody with any kind of superpowers at all, and no one has a particular set of skills in which they will exact some revenge. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing like that in this story. It's a couple of women and a lot of talking. A lot. In fact, just so you know, I actually went verse by verse. There are four chapters, 85 verses. 70% of the verses in this book is talking. It's an awful lot of talking. That's why it's a chick flick. But I want to tell you, for those of you that would immediately dismiss it, it's a very powerful story as well. Because all throughout the, situa- the, the story, though it's a sad story and how it begins, it focuses in on these two women who have lost everything. They have no hope, no resources, and yet we find that in their circumstances, God is 
present. He is working, but not in the way that you would expect. See, throughout the Bible, there are stories of God showing up, and when he does, he shows up in pillars of fire and cloud, and he shows up, and the earth is opening up and swallowing people. The seas are being parted, but in this story, there's no miracles. God doesn't show up in the way that he shows up in so many other books of the Bible. No, there's no miracles. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no sick that get healed. There's no raising of the dead. But on every single page and every single verse, you are going to see the power, the presence, and the providence of God. And it's a powerful book in your Bible that I believe that will speak to many of you today that are here that are hurting. Maybe you're even discouraged by the circumstances of your life right now. Maybe you've been in those circumstances for so long that you've begun to lose hope. Some of you that are here today, this will help you. You believe God has something better for you, and he does. And others of you, you feel stuck in a place that you know you shouldn't be. Uh, This book is going to speak to you, and I'm going to encourage you to be here for all six weeks of it. If you have to miss because you have to miss, make sure you're listening to the podcast or check us out on our YouTube and watch it, but be here for it. So let's jump into it. This is Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, pause, stop right there. This is setting the scene for you so that you understand. It's kind of like, like a movie whenever it pans across like a desolate wasteland or a city that is, is, is thriving or maybe even a city that is itself is desolate and it's the, it's the, the pre or post-apocalyptic kind of scenario. Like this is setting that scene for you. And if you don't know what your Bible says, you don't know what this means. So let me break it down for you. All right. <laughs> in the days when the judges ruled means that it's talking about the book that comes just before Ruth in your Bible. It's called the book of Judges. And at that time, there were no leaders. There was no one individual. So before that, we had Moses, we had Joshua, and then we enter into the season of just judges. And judges are people that God would raise up to lead and deliver the people in the in bad circumstances. Gideon was one of them. Samson was one of those judges. And there's a whole list of them, but God would raise them up for a small period of time. And then when their influence and their leadership was gone, the people would return back oftentimes to their sin, oftentimes to their their things that oppressed them in the first place. And so the book of Judges is describing, uh, if you read the book of Judges, there's all kinds of terrible things that happen. In fact, that period of time could be summarized by a verse, the last verse in the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25, that says, in those days, Israel had no king. So no, they were underneath no leadership, no direct leadership, no government. God was there. They had God's law. They'd had the Mosaic law. They understood how to worship God. They, had, they were in the promised land. And yet it says this about them, that all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Well, that described that time then, but boy, doesn't history repeat itself because doesn't that feel like what today is all about? Everybody does whatever feels good to them. I'm gonna live my truth. I'm gonna do what feels right. There is no right and wrong. Well, your truth is not my truth. I'm just gonna do, I'm gonna do me and you do you, boo. It's similar to today. So that's what was happening in that time. So when it says in the days when the judges ruled, you need to understand this is how people acted. They did whatever seemed good to them, even though they knew better. 
They had God's law. And it says there was a famine in the land. Now, it doesn't tell us why the famine happened. We don't know if there was a drought that caused the crops to not grow. We don't know if there was pestilence that ate up all the crops. We don't know if it was the nearby neighbors who, by the way, would regularly raid the Israelites because their land was fertile. They would come in, they would take all the crops, and they would burn what was left over. They were regularly raided. So we don't know what caused the famine, but we know that there was a lack of food. We know that there was a lack of resources. It says, so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. That's important. We'll come back to it. It says, the man's name was Elimelech, which is just fun to say. Elimelech. Sounds like a really powerful guy, right? You don't want to mess with Elimelech. He'll come up and get you. You know what I'm saying? Lim or Lech for short. I don't know what you want to call him, but Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites, meaning they were of the tribe of Ephraim, which is one of Joseph's sons, if you know the lineage there, from Bethlehem in Judah. In Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So let me break down the characters so that you understand who we're dealing with here. The very first character is a guy named Elimelech, and his name, it's important, his name means my God is king. He's married to Naomi, and her name means sweet or pleasant. Sweet or pleasant. They've got two sons whose names are Malon and Kilion. Malon means sick or sickly, and Kilion means frail or tired or, or weathered or wasted, okay? Now, you have to understand that they named their kids based on circumstances that were around their lives, the things that happened that led up to the birth, maybe things that happened during the birth, or maybe even qualities that they saw in the kid when they were born, or qualities they wanted to see in their kids. Some of you are like, man, I didn't know these were the rules. Like, can I go ahead and change my kid's name? Sure, go ahead. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. But they named their kids. And so what we've got here is two kids. So Malon, his name being sick or sickly means that he was, he was maybe a sick child, or maybe she was sick, or maybe there was sickness in the land when the child was born. Kind of like Sarah, when she named her son Isaac, God told her she was going to have a baby in her old age, and she laughed. And so she named her son Isaac because Isaac means laughter. This is what happened. So, so there was some circumstance around that, that Malon was called sick or sickly in their, in their language. And maybe she was sick through her pregnancy. Any pregnant women, can you testify that you can get a little sick during your, or, or you, if you've ever been pregnant, right? You know, you get sick during that time. And maybe she had a really harsh pregnancy. And so she was frail when she gave birth. We don't really know the circumstances around it. Either way, what we do know is she had two sons named sick and tired. That's all we know right there, right? And so that's the characters. Now your openings. It's in your Bible. I can't. I, I'm not making it up. It's there. So let me explain the opening scene. So, of course, they have this famine. It's a lack of food, a lack of resources. And Elimelech is just trying to be a good husband and a good father. He's trying to help his family because he's worried about them. He doesn't want anybody to die. That's his number one concern, right? He doesn't want anybody to succumb to the famine. And so he takes his family and he moves them from Bethlehem 50 miles away to Moab. Now it's just Bethlehem's on the other side of the Dead Sea and he moves them to Moab. So it's not far, uh, but, but the problem with this situation and the reason why it's important is because God had strictly forbidden them from engaging with anybody from Moab. 
They weren't supposed to engage with them. They weren't supposed to do business with them. They weren't supposed to marry them. They weren't even supposed to go to Moab. And yet, here Elimelech moves his entire family from a God-fearing land, and he goes to Moab. You say, Aaron, what was wrong with the Moabites? Well, first of all, you need to understand who Moab was. Moab was descended from Abraham's nephew, Lot. If you remember the story of Lot, and if you don't know it, here it is briefly, they moved to a land and and Lot went and dwelled in Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, God destroyed them because of their sinfulness, and he rescued Lot. And in his escape, Lot's wife perishes, but Lot and his daughters wind up in some caves. And their da- his daughters get kind of scared because they've been up hiding up in this cave for a while. And they're like, we're never going to have kids. We're never going to find husbands. I got an idea. Let's get dad drunk and make him get us pregnant. And that's what they did. And so Moab was born out of incestuous relationship between a father and a daughter. And then Moab goes on to create a clan or a tribe of people who worship the mo- one of the most heinous lowercase g gods, like a demonic influence god of the Bible. His name is Chemosh. Chemosh is a god who demands the way that you worship him is to sacrifice your babies to him by tossing them in the fire. This demonic influence is still active and working today. And God detested this. And he's like, have nothing to do with the Moabites. Don't have anything to do with them. In fact, in Psalm 60, verse 8, this is what God thought of the Moabites. He said, Moab is my wash basin. In other words, it's where I'm going to wash my dirty feet. That's, that's God's opinion of the people of Moab. It's not that he didn't love them. It's that their choices made them detestable to him, the way they lived their lives. And so Elimelech takes his family from Bethlehem, which the name Bethlehem means house of bread, house of God's provision, and leads them to Moab, which God has called his wash basin. This is not a good choice, but he's scared. He's worried, and that's why he does it. Now, what's interesting to me is that Elimelech's name is, means my God is king, but he's not living that way, is he? Why? Well, he's scared. He's worried. He can't feed his family. And so because he's living in a time where everybody did everything that was right in their own eyes, he discards God's commandment and he moves his family to Moab. He discards God's way of doing things. And he's rationalizing the situation saying, well, it's going to be a better economy there. I can get a job. I'll be able to feed my family. We'll be able to have a house. I can provide a better life. Now, let me just say this as gently as I possibly can, I think many of us do the same thing. That when it comes to our families, I think we're all susceptible to the same temptation that Elimelech had. That when it comes to providing for them and caring for them, we get worried. There's situations that that rise up and we're often tempted and even more often succumb to the temptation to chase after economic provision instead of spiritual protection. I'll say that again. He's pursuing economic provision instead of spiritual protection. Instead of remaining in Bethlehem in the middle of a famine and trusting that God would provide all his needs if he obeyed him, he decided to take things into his own hands and move to Moab, where God said, don't go. And we do this often. 
We make decisions. I have seen people time after time after time come to Simple Church. They, they give their lives to Jesus. They get baptized. They say yes. They say, I'm gonna join a team. They get into a grow group. God starts moving in their lives. Their marriage has improved. Their relationship with themselves and with God has improved. They're reading the Bible, understanding it. They've never been able to do that before. God is on the move in their lives. And all of a sudden, it happens every single time you make a commitment or take a step towards God without fail, I promise you. That the enemy comes along with something that looks good. Out of nowhere. And it's always these really God-like circumstances too. I was minding my own business. I wasn't even looking for a job and I got a call to move to Oklahoma. And I'm gonna uproot my family because there's more money there. Hey, have you prayed about that? Oh, I don't have to. This must be the Lord. Chasing provision, chasing comfort not checking in with God. And too often times we pursue those things because, well, God wants me blessed, so this must be God's best. And instead of staying in a place where we have God's spiritual protection, when things get tough, we leave Bethlehem and we go to the sinful land of Moab, leaving God's ways and God's people behind. So when times get tough, what do you do? What happens in you? Do you trust in God? Do you obey him or do you move to Moab? Are you somebody who declares on a regular basis, God is my God, he's the king of my life, I'm gonna trust and obey his word, and that means that I'm single and I'm dating, I'm not gonna have sex before marriage because that's what God tells me is best for me, but then you meet that special someone and boy, they really light your fire. And they're hot. and got a great personality. And all of a sudden, I have conversations with people all the time. But Aaron, I've been dating and waiting, and I got needs for mating and procreating. I got something I need scratched. Are you going to trust God and obey him, or are you going to move to Moab? You say, oh, I'm going to trust God. He's the God of my life. I'm going to put everything in his hands. That means that I'm going to be thankful for the provision that he has given me because it is God who gives us the power to make wealth. And therefore, he's asked me to return 10% to him through the tithe. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a difference maker and give above and beyond. I'm going to live my life different than everybody else. Oh, but then times get tough. Inflation. Gas prices are really high. Eggs and milk is super expensive, Aaron. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to honor him first? Or are you going to move to Moab and do things your own way, take things into your own hands? So I'm going to trust God. He's going to be king of my life. I'm not going to be found in the clubs. I'm not going to party. I'm not going to get drunk anymore. And then you have a bad day and you're stressed out. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to move to Moab? So God's my king. He's Lord of my life. I'm going to do everything his way. He loves everybody. He gives grace to me. He gives mercy to me. And he's called me to do the same thing. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to give grace. I'm going to give mercy. I'm going to be understanding. I'm going to be empathetic. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be loving. Unless you're on the other side of the political aisle. Or your skin color doesn't match mine. Or you hurt me. What are you going to do? Are you going to trust God? Are you going to honor his ways? Or are you going to move to Moab? What are you going to do? Here's what I know. When tough times get tough, Moab looks tempting, tempting, doesn't it? When times get tough, doing things your own way, discarding God's ways, that looks pretty tempting. Now, I'm not judging Elimelech. I understand. 
I understand what he was trying to do. I understand he was just trying to provide for his family. I get it. He was scared that they would starve to death. But honestly, most of us give in to the temptation to go to Moab under far less uh, extenuating circumstances, don't we? Under far less pressure, we crack and start doing things our own way. Because how many of us have genuinely faced a famine? I mean, I know we've seen some shelves empty at the grocery stores, but that's not a famine. That's not a famine. So what happened to Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Kilion? Because, you know, they spoke their truth. They honored their hearts and followed them. They live their best lives now. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Everything worked out fine for them. They dishonored God. They moved to Moab. Everything was fine. Left God's will behind. Left God's people behind. All good. Except that that's not true. That's not what happened at all. In fact, go to verse 3 of Ruth chapter 1. And it says, now Limelech, Naomi's husband, he died. The very thing he was trying to keep from happening back in, in Bethlehem, by moving to Moab, this dude dies. Now, we don't know if he got mowed down by a herd of, of camel or he had a stroke. We don't know what happened. But he's dead. And it says she was left with her two sons. And they married, watch this, Moabite women, which, by the way, was forbidden. One was named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. You say, you just mispronounced Oprah's name, Aaron. No, that's how it's spelled. It's Orpah. <laughs> Read it again. <laughs> and after they had lived there about 10 years, so Elimelech moves them there in order to protect them, and they stay there for 10 years. Isn't that what some of us do? We go do things our own ways. The very thing we thought we were trying to keep from happening happens to us, the worst case scenario. And then we wind up just sitting in our mess for way longer, just kind of making a home out of it, don't we? We don't ask for help. We don't confess our sin. We don't turn back. We just sit in it. Complain about it, post on Facebook, get some likes and, likes and some comments, you know. That's what we do. We set up shop, we make a home out of it. So Limelech dies, and then these boys go and marry Orpah and Ruth, and after they'd lived there 10 years, Malon and Kilion, they also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So Elimelech passes away, he leaves his wife in a bad situation, in a bad place. And remember, Naomi is less than 50 miles away from Bethlehem. In other words, it's easy to get back. That's, that's, I mean, if she walked all day long, she could get back there. It could be a two-day journey if she wanted to do some sightseeing. But she could have walked that 50 miles back and been back home in God's blessing in two days, and she stays in Moab for 10 years. And her sons married these Moabite women, something God had forbidden, which, you know, I mean, let's give them the benefit of a doubt. Again, they were probably cute and had great personalities. I'm sure it's fine. What we call this in the Christian world, when you are a Christ follower and you are out there dating somebody who is not, we call that missionary dating, right? You say, well, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to date him because I can win him to Jesus. Listen, let me tell you something. If you are missionary dating as a Christ follower, in other words, dating somebody who does not love God, you will more often than not wind up in the missionary position and not in a God-honoring way. Did I say it? I did. Oh, calm down. You watched worse on TV last night. I don't even want to hear it. Don't you, don't, uh-uh, don't do it. I'm just being real up here. Uh-uh. says, here's the thing, in God's love, he gave us some boundaries because that's what a loving parent does. A loving parent tells the child, hey, that stove is hot. You better not touch it. 
because they don't want their kid hurt. Say, God trying to just ruin all of our fun. No, he's not. No, he's not. So when you ask me or you have a conversation with me, Aaron, should I marry somebody that is not a Christ follower and I myself am a Christ follower, is that okay? The answer is no. No, it's not. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. That word yoked is something that is uncommon for us, but let me explain it to you. It's a farming terminology. They would put two oxen together and they would yoke them with a wooden plank and together they would walk together and they would pull the plow. But if one of those ox walked faster than the other because it was a wooden plank with holes in it, that ox would wind up dragging the other. That ox could stumble and it would fall and break its neck. God is saying, don't be yoked together with people who aren't walking like you're walking. Don't do it. Besides, why in the world would you want to walk with somebody who doesn't love God like you love God? Why in the world? Because let me tell you something, young person, you're that is dating somebody right now like that. You're going to get married someday and you might have kids and your kid might be laying in a hospital bed sick and those doctors, as smart as they are, don't have any answers. And you're like, yeah, but I'm, I dated him because he's really cute and he's got a lot of money. Let me tell you something. See how much any of that cuteness will rub off and fix your kid or that money will take care of it when there aren't any answers. No, you better find somebody that knows how to get down on their knees and get a hold of heaven when you've got a situation. You want to be in relationship with somebody who knows how to talk to God. Not because they're cute or got money or potential in a future. No, no, no. I don't know why you'd want to do that. If God is the king of your life, you want to share your life and raise your family with somebody that knows God. Now, why did, why did Elimelech leave Bethlehem in the first place? Because he didn't want to die. And what happened in Moab? He and his two sons died. Three of them passed away. And this is how the story of Ruth just begins. This is how it starts, everybody. Three widows... No homes, no money, and no hope. And finally, in the middle of this destitution, Naomi, the mother, decides to go home. She decides to go back to Bethlehem, to go back to, to the place of God's provision, to go back where God's people are. That's what she decides to do. And along the way, these three women have a long conversation. Why? Because it's a chick flick, right? And Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, she says, hey, go on back home. Go back home. And the reason she's having to tell them this is because it was customary at the time that if you married a man and he died, then his brother would then marry you and have children with you in order to have his brother's name and his legacy carried on. It's customary. But here, both of Naomi's sons have died. And Ruth and Orpah, if they were to stay with Naomi, meant they would have to go with her, wait for her to get married, have children, raise those children, and if she had boys, so we're, we're talking, this is a 20-year process, to wait that long and then have them marry them to do what was right by them, and Naomi's like, nah, I ain't gonna do that. Y'all are young, go get married, have babies, do what you want to. And Orpah, of course she does. She goes back and has this amazing TV career where you get a car and you get a car and that didn't happen. But, but Orpah does go back to Moab, but Ruth, she stays. In fact, in verse 16, this is the first time in this story that Ruth speaks and she says this, and it's a very famous verse. It said, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, 
I will stay. Your people will be my people, and more importantly, your God, my God. So Ruth makes this massive declaration of loyalty to Naomi, and she said, I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to commit to your people. I'm going to give up my citizenship. I'm going to become a citizen of Israel. I'm going to go serve you. I'm going to go serve your God. That's what she says. And so Ruth and Naomi, they left Moab, and they headed back to God in Bethlehem. And what this is, is a beautiful picture of repentance, right? Because re means turn and pent means to the highest. So when you are repenting, you are turning to the highest ways. You are returning to God's ways. That's what repentance is. And that's what they did. They turned away from doing things their own ways, which was representative by Moab. And they turned back to God's blessing because they're leaving behind what he said they shouldn't be participating in. They're rejoining God's people. They're repenting as they turn back or turn from Moab towards God in Bethlehem. And this highlights one of the most important truths that we can learn, especially today. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not, go ahead and write it down anyway. It's important. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. That's so simple on the surface. You know that already. But that's what's, that's what's being demonstrated here. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. You want to marry the right person, you're going to have to break up with the wrong one. You want to have your finances in order, you're going to have to change the way you approach money. You want to have an attitude shift about something in your life, you need to develop a new way of thinking. You want to have some, your health issues corrected, you need to have a new lifestyle. You want to break that cycle of addiction, you need to create a new life cycle for yourself instead of returning to the same old one. You want to experience all God has for you. It's time for you to go all in. Make Jesus Lord of your entire life, every part of it. Leave your life of sin, which means just doing things your way. If you want that, you can have that. To get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. And Ruth, in this story, she does just that. She made one decision, and that was to turn her back on Moab and to go to God in Bethlehem. That's the decision she made. And that one decision she made, that one act of repentance, that one choice changed her life and it changed her legacy. It means it impacted people for generations. In fact, that decision that Ruth made impacts you and me today. Because spoiler alert, you ever heard of Bethlehem? That's where they went back to. Bethlehem means house of bread. There's a very famous person that was born in Bethlehem. Does anybody know who it was? Moses? No, it was not Moses. It was Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus comes from the house of bread, and he himself is the bread of life. God took a Moabite woman who repented, somebody who was from the wash basin, and she turned to God, and God chose her and put her in the very lineage of Jesus. I love that. I think that's so beautiful. It points to the fact that your decisions that you make, the way you live your life is not just about you. Because the decisions that you will make today and tomorrow and every day thereafter, it not only has an impact on your life, but it has an impact on the people that come after you. It impacts plenty of people. There's an immediate and oftentimes a generational impact on the decisions you are making with your life. So I wonder today, is there still some part of your life, because maybe you'd call yourself a Christ follower, 
some part of your life that is still back there in Moab. That there's some part of your life that you're still living according to your ways. Some part of your life where you know what God's told you to do. You're like a Lemelech. You know the Moab's forbidden. You know that it's not the right place for you, and yet that's where you've set up camp. Is there some area in your life that you're still in Moab? Some area of your life where you, you've declared, my God is my king, but I'm still doing what's right in my own eyes. Is there anything? In fact, let me ask it this way, and I'll put it up on the screen. What one decision could you make or what one action could you take that would change the trajectory of your life and legacy? There's got to be a decision. There's got to be a step. There's got to be an action that you can take. And oftentimes, it's a repentance. It's a return to something. What one decision could you make that would have you leave Moab and wind up in God's blessing in Bethlehem? Now, as your pastor, it's my job to help you here, so let me help you. Here's a few suggestions that'll span your entire lives. The first one is cut up your credit cards. Cancel those accounts. That'll help you. That's a step you could take. Hey, maybe you're the first person in that relationship to apologize. Maybe you didn't cause the fight, but you certainly contributed to it. And maybe you need to be the first one to humble yourself and step up and say, I'm sorry for my part in that. Can we reconcile? Maybe the one decision that you can make is to break up with that person that you're dating and stop settling. Stop settling for less. Maybe the decision you make is to move out and stop playing house until you're married. Maybe you need to block that number so that they can't call you anymore. They can't reach out to you. Maybe it's time that secret addiction that you've got, whether that's to pornography, alcohol, drugs, TikTok. Come on, somebody. Whatever it is that you can't seem to shake, maybe it's time to confess that thing to somebody. You know where the best place to do that is? In a grow group. Get in a group. Get in a group. Get in a group and get into a place with God's people who will love you and not judge you and will pray for you and support you as you walk through breaking that cycle. For some of you, you could just live on less and give more. You could surrender something to God and trust him with it. You could surrender someone to God. Some of you just need to fall on your knees in broken repentance over your sin. And others of you just need to surrender to Jesus. Give him your whole life. Make him king. Remember, to get to the right place, you have to leave the wrong one. So where in your life are you still in Moab? Where in your life do you need to return? You know, there's a word that's used in the Bible over 1,100 times. It's the word shub, and it means to return. means to return. If you don't know this about God, you need to know that he's all about the return. See, some of you think God is sitting up in heaven on his throne wearing his white robe and his white beard, and he's got a lightning bolt, more resembling the Greek god Zeus than our actual God. And you think he's waiting to zap you. Some of you, it's your first time in church ever. Some of you, it's the first time in a long time. And you've jokingly said, well, I hope I don't catch on fire when I walk in there. Because your posture and position and your belief about God is that he's mad at you. And he's not. God wants good things for you. Always has. Does he hate your sin? Yes, but he doesn't hate you. 
He just hates the impact of that sin in your life. He's a good God. He's for you. But some of you believe that he's not. And so you think to turn to him would be just abject humiliation, that he's going to punish you. But that's not who God is. He celebrates a return. He's all about it. In fact, Jesus told three stories, three parables in Luke chapter 15. Now, you got to watch this. When your Bible starts repeating something, you need to pay attention to it, okay? Especially when it's back to back to back. Jesus said it three different ways because as humans, I think in general, we are dumb and don't get things. Can the men understand in here? I'll say it again. Sorry, two more times. Here we go. Jesus repeats, tells three different stories, but the same point each time. And at the end of each of the stories, there's a lost sheep. When the sheep is found, there's a party. There's a lost coin. When the coin is found, there's a party. And then there's the prodigal son, the son who tells his dad, I wish you were dead. And he goes and parties and wastes his life and winds up in a pig pen, comes back and says, dad, make me a servant. But the son returns. And so what does the dad do? He parties. And Jesus said that in heaven, every time a sinner, that's me, by the way, that's you, that every time a sinner turns to God, not just once, but in every area of your life, every time you return to God, the angels up in heaven are having a party. Now, some of us have party over silly things. Many of you are attending a Super Bowl party today. We have parties over things that don't even involve us. Like, there ain't nobody on that field that's ever done a daggone thing for you. But you're going to have a party over it. Some of you aren't even Mexican, and you celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Some of you ain't Irish either. St. Patty's Day, we party. We wear green. That was unintentional, but it worked out. Is today St. Patty's Day? It's not St. Patty's Day. I got my fit check for St. Patty's Day now, I guess. Uh, but we party over silly reasons, don't we? We celebrate somebody survived another year of their life. I, I mean, listen, I know that that's important, but understand, like, you, you just survived. We, we party. And Jesus is saying the most important party of all is to celebrate a return. Somebody that is making a spiritual decision, somebody that is making an eternal decision, and a decision that will not only impact their lives, but it will impact a legacy. We've all got decisions. We've all got places, the wrong places we need to live or leave in order to wind up in the right one. God is all about the return. And I'm going to tell you today, my prayer has been that there'll be a lot of celebrating up in heaven today. So as we close this service, I got one last time to ask you, what one decision could you make? What one action could you take that would change the trajectory of your life and your legacy? Let's pray. Father, today I just invite your spirit, as I've already done and been praying today, I just invite your spirit to do his work in this room, to begin speaking to our hearts. Because God, sometimes it's just an attitude. Sometimes it's a way we've been talking to someone in our lives. Maybe sometimes it's even the way we've been talking to ourselves. Our inner critic is the worst. And that thing is just as sinful as the way we talk to other people. 
Sometimes it's an action we're taking. Sometimes it's an issue that rages within us that has been there for a long time. Lust, greed. Sometimes it's sins that we feel are little white lies or those little white sins, those sins that aren't even like, you know, well, you know, I'm not really hurting anybody. But Lord, you see us and you have a best outline for us in your word. And sometimes we just don't even know that we've taken matters into our own hands and we've moved to Moab and left your ways, left your people behind. Other times we are well aware of what we're doing. My prayer today, Lord, is that you would just convict us that Holy Spirit, one of your roles in our life is to convict us. And it's not to beat us up. It's to gently, gently call us into a state of repentance. Lord, your word says it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. It's not your anger. It's not fear that leads us to repentance. It's your goodness. It's how good you are. It's the good things you want for us that opens our eyes and causes us to say, it's better back at my dad's house. It's better in Bethlehem than here in Moab, doing things my own ways. The things I was doing to, to avoid the pain, the pain came anyway. And yet I've sat here in Moab longer than I should have. Lord, I'm just praying today that you will work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, that you would reveal those areas where we've settled for far too long. Those areas we've been stuck and didn't even realize we could have more. Lead us to that one decision. Lead us to that one action we could take to leave the wrong place to wind up in the right place. Lord, I'm praying that you do that work. Now, as we continue to pray, some of you, the decision you need to make today is to make a decision to return to God or maybe to come to him for the first time. And if that's you and you're in the house today, I'm gonna pray a prayer. I'll give you the words to speak. I know the prayer's new, and, but we're all gonna pray together. And so today, if, if you need to make a return, today, if you're ready to have heaven celebrate over the one decision, the one action you could take today, and that's to give your heart completely to God, having a relationship with his son, Jesus. If that's you in this room and you're ready to do that, I'm gonna pray a prayer, but I just wanna know if it's you. Here's the action you can take. You're making a decision, but there's an action I'm gonna ask you for, and that's just to lift your hand up. Would you do that right now? Lift your hand up. Say, I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm proud of you. That's proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over this room. Now we're all going to pray together. And it's a simple prayer. It goes like this. Everybody pray out loud. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. Fill me with your spirit. And show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you made that decision, the Bible says heaven's having a party. Simple church, come on, join the celebration. Celebrate with them. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We hope it has given you hope and helped you know God a little bit more. The goal of this podcast is to reach beyond our walls and connect with people far from God. If you'd like to join us in doing that, there are several ways for you to get involved. First, you can pray for us as a church. Prayer is our first response and our greatest resource. Pray for opportunities that we can boldly step into, make a difference in our community and around the world as we proclaim the good news of Jesus. Second, share this episode on your social media accounts and directly with your friends. It's easy to do through whatever platform you're currently using to listen to this message. Just click share and follow the prompts. Finally, you can support the mission through your generosity. 
The best part about this is that it's also an act of worship, where you express the priority of your love for God and others through your finances. Links to give are in the show notes or simply visit giving. We are so thankful you joined us today. Hope you'll consider joining the mission of our church in some way. Thank you again, and we'll see you at next week's episode.